Before we continue, one of the ways we keep all of our content for you, the listener, free of charge is our amazing sponsors, and today, Anchor is one of those sponsors. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcasts right from your phone or computer. Anchor is going to distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere podcasts are listened to, and you can even make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. We're covering a Monday Night Raw of the past with the future of SmackDown Live. You listen to them, now hang out with us. This is After 83 Weeks with Christy Olsen. That's me. You're tuned in to AfterBuzz TV, the ESPN of TV talk. Now, let the buzz Hey there, 83 Weeks fans. It is time for the buzz to begin. We are breaking down this Monday Night Raw from July 6th, 1998 this week on 83 Weeks. Thank you so much for tuning in. My name is Christy Olson, and let me introduce you to my panel this week. We have rocking his very own t-shirt which we always love. He is a veteran of the biz and the host of AfterBuzz TV's SmackDown After Show. Hi, Christian Rosenberg. Hi, Christy Olson. I missed most of you so much last night. <laughs> I know. It is so great to have you back, and I know you were in the land of wrestling, i.e. Florida. <laughs> yes, more so in the Disney World aspect. Okay, okay. Um, I was chasing my nephews around the Magic Kingdom. So you still saw Men in Tights? Sure. Yes. Love it. All right, well, speaking of men in tights, this guy is an independent wrestler, and we call him the Encyclopedia of Professional Wrestling. Hi, George I don't think I've ever worn tights. Should I? Is that a thing? You'll get there. Yeah, right. Eventually. I'm going to get my gear. When you get when good the, at when, wrestling. When the man bun gets cut off, the tights are coming on. It won't be anytime soon. All right, well, you guys cannot advise George as to his gimmick. And you can also always uh, find this guy on this show. He is the runs all the YouTube channels, like all of them, for your favorite wrestling veterans. Hello, Steve Kaufman. Hello. I Literally all of them at yeah, this point. Pretty much all Every of them. Every single one. If you're watching a wrestling video on YouTube, I'm probably involved. It's, it's, it's so guy. many. And while we're on that note, I want to remind you guys to hit that subscribe button on the 83 Weeks channel. And you can also catch us on Apple Podcasts if you'd rather listen. We would love if you would like, rate, comment, and subscribe. And on that note, I do want to remind you that we do have the executive director of SmackDown Live. Eric Bischoff calling in every week answering your questions and you can always send them to us using hashtag after 83 weeks. He will be joining us in just a few minutes but first guys we got a pretty juicy episode about Monday Night Raw and they were doing a really fun thing this week with Bruce Pritchard where he covered an episode of Nitro. I expected these guys to tear each other apart and to tear apart the product. (laughs) They didn't do that. Eric loved the show. He loved it. <laughs> loved it. And it made me go back and be like, I loved the show too. <laughs> I was like, wait, there were so many good things about the show, and you forget, oh, wait, this went up against the most successful Nitro of all time. And it was still so good. It reminded me a lot of anytime you watch WHW with Tony Schiavone and he watches an ECW show. That it's something you wouldn't think he'd love at all. And he's like, oh my god, this is incredible. I love everything I love everything that's happening. I'm so far removed from anything that's happening on the screen. It's incredible. It was a fun show overall. I mean, because this was a time where they kind of used a little bit of everybody. Like, they, they pretty much used every... Not like now. There's like half the roster they don't even use. But now, back then, I was like, they used a lot of the people. You know? And mm-hmm. I, I know The Rock wasn't there. They were doing the skit. But, like, he was there just backstage, I think. But, obviously, storyline-wise, they didn't want to interrupt the, the, the whole nation parody. Which, looking back, I mean, it's just crazy how times have changed. Because there's a lot of things in that segment that you can't get away with today. And I know they mentioned it, you know, during during the actual skit. Like Mizark. 
Yeah. I feel bad for Mark Henry after hearing that story. <laughs> yeah, and you, well, what I think was most interesting about that was that Eric pretty much forbid Conrad from continuing the story and continuing him. to talk about it. I don't know. I could have heard more about well, it. Really? Well, it kept going oh. because then they, then they aired the audio clip from Raw right. that was the innuendo towards it. I got to say, I'm not a huge fan of the airing the clips. Like, we're all going to sit down and watch the show anyway. And, you know, but there's always that little fast forward button. I mean, I like the whole concept of doing a WWE. I would like for them to do like July 15, 2002, which mm-hmm. is Eric Bischoff's first day in WWE. Uh, I would yeah. like for them to do maybe do that one day. Mm. Um, but yeah, I just like the whole aspect of like, you know, especially Eric doing. I, I'd rather see Eric do a WWF watch along than Pritchard doing a WCW watch along. You know, yeah. I, f- I feel like you have the ability to ask Eric about that at some point. <laughs> maybe in just a few minutes. Oh, possibly. I think it's like his first comments too since like the whole announcement. Like, I know he's tweeted a couple times, but I. I haven't seen him do anything like this. Be one of his. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Got your happy price, price line. Um, are you implying his... that I should have opened the show by being like, guys, for the first time ever, Eric Bischoff will be discussing his brand new role with WWE? Because you're totally right. That's what I should have done. <laughs> Take two. Right. We, yeah, uh, yes. we are going to be asking him about it. But first, let's talk about Stone Cold and Goldberg. Bruce Pritchard said that Goldberg is basically a ripoff of Stone Cold. But Eric's like, hey, that's just how he looked, dude. Mm-hmm. But they could have made, I mean, they could have made an effort to give Goldberg a different kind of a look. Like, hair grows. Yeah, dude. <laughs> like, I mean, I get, the, I get maybe the hair, maybe he couldn't grow it anymore. But at least, like, maybe add a stripe or two on his tights, you know? I mean, he's yeah. from, he's from, I mean, he's not from Georgia, but that's where he kind of made a big name for himself. Add on the Falcons colors, add on the Georgia I, Bulldogs colors. I was going to think, because he was a former Atlanta Falcon, like, what if, yeah, there was a little burgundy on the Or even, or like, the Georgia like Bulldog colors. Like, yeah. just do something where it's, like, people aren't going to automatically say, oh, he's an awesome wannabe, even though he ended up not being. I mean, mm. it's just the way it is, just the way wrestling business is. But, like, you know, at least do something, you know? I feel like the... I feel feel like anytime you ask someone internally at WCW about Goldberg, what they'll tell you is, we're just throwing the kid out to see what it looks like. Mm-hmm. And then we had it. We knew we had it. We knew it was money. And we changed nothing. Like, anyone you ask, that's their response. Of like, nope, he was... Why, why was he wearing black tights at win 100? Because mm-hmm. he wore black tights at win 1. Mm-hmm. And win 1 was money. Win, one, win 100 was money. It, it's almost like a mo, like a mojo thing. Like they're being superstitious. I did think it was a little weird, and I really wanted him to elaborate a little bit more, but I feel like he didn't want to either say he was wrong or Hogan was wrong. But when Hogan said, or when when it was said that it was supposed to be a dark match, which I remember was announced for the Georgia Dome to be a Mm -hmm. dark match, and Eric Bischoff was saying that was never supposed to be a dark match. I don't know. I wanted him to go a little bit longer. I feel like Conrad could just kind of cut it off like, oh, well, next topic, because clearly, like, you don't. Somebody. Well, one key thing being that it was a watch along. He didn't want to drag on the same topic because then they're going to miss stuff during the watch-along. So that's why this episode, I feel Conrad was a little more abrupt, Mm -hmm. and understandably so, because, like, all right, well, we need to stop this because Undertaker just showed up, and we got to kind of bring this up. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we don't come back to stuff, I will say, and we saw a recent example featuring Eric Bischoff. Sometimes the people who send the advertisements for tickets 
have nothing to do with the creative of mm-hmm. right. that organization. And those of you in San Antonio probably know what we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that, guys. But we will be asking Eric when uh, the first time you all will be able to be in the same arena as him. We won't say see him because we don't know if he's going to be on camera. But we can ask him about all of that. You know, in his new role where he uh, works for Vince McMahon, who he had no problem talking about on this episode of the show. I, I, I mean, I, this is unbelievable to me. I, when I say that I'm scared for Eric when I sit and listen to this every second, obviously that's <laughs> coming from a personal place, of, you know, it's got some issues. But it's like, <laughs> how can he sit and talk about his now boss so openly and honestly, and I mean, he didn't—he didn't necessarily say anything bad, but he said that w- the Vince that we saw on TV is who Vince is deep down inside. It's, like he basically said, Vince plays a jerk on TV, and that's who he is. Not in so many words. It's—it's it's a matter of comfort and confidence, because you can ask anybody at their day job. Mm-hmm. I've personally dealt with this many times, where I've had coworkers come up to me be like can you talk to the boss about this why can't you because you're, I'm afraid to bring it up I'm 100% that guy <laughs> and I'm the guy I'm not trying to ever in whatsoever compare myself to Eric Bischoff but in this instance I'm the guy who will be like no if I think my boss is something weird I'm going to tell him I don't agree with this here's why and I'm not going to be afraid of that I may get in trouble, but I'm not going to be afraid of it. Well, you know, there are so many people that are just like, I want to be well-behaved. The boss is here, so um, I'm only going to say nice things even though I really think this is a bad idea. No, they like it more if you're upfront and honest. But you have to remember that the culture of WWE is completely different from anywhere else and from any nine to five job. Sure. And um, they have not responded well in the past to their employees speaking ill of the company. Oh, so to, I, I to think some, but I'm sorry to cut you off, to some they do, but there's a number of others that you hear the stories of. They, they upfront say, that's a bad gimmick name. I want this name. And they actually get acknowledged and praised for standing up. Mm-hmm. Does it happen all the time? Of course not. But there are those stories on the opposite end where, hey, they're willing to stand up and speak up about it. And it does work out for them that actually they gain more respect. It, again, it doesn't always happen like that. But, yeah. but there are more positive stories than people would think. Mm-hmm. No, I see what you're saying, that there are people who would be in the position that that would be forgiven or maybe overlooked. Sure. And then people who it just wouldn't be worth dealing with. Sure. Okay. And also, like, he was talking about Vince McMahon, the man, like, 21 years ago. I like to say, I mean, granted, we're all, you know, 21 <laughs> years ago, we were all kids, and I am just like to think that we were all different people. But I don't think that's any much different than, No, no, you no. Know, he said, and I quote... <laughs> And I quote, <laughs> because it's who Vince is deep inside, not who Vince was, who Vince is. I mean, okay. back then, Vince was thinking of running a football league, for crying out loud. <laughs> and we know that always. But I think also, too, like Eric, Eric puts himself in that in that 98 role. This is the same Eric Bischoff that challenged Vince McMahon to a fight on Slamboree 98. Yeah, like, true. And again, I, I think a lot of it, you're probably completely right, but also a lot of things, too, I think Eric puts himself in 98 mentality and how he was thinking back then because of that's how you got to do when you when you do these shows you know mm-hmm. gosh it's just so interesting to me and also another shocking aspect of all this my fellow Minnesotan Eric Bischoff has never met our other fellow Minnesotan Paul Ellering 
Yeah. Yeah. Someone needs to set up a meetup. Why is it that their paths have never crossed? And the not there now. So, yeah. like, it's not even like it could happen next week. No. Yeah. Well, his daughter's there. True. George, uh, being our encyclopedia of uh, sports entertainment, uh, when would those two ever have crossed paths? No, I don't or they think never so. worked at the same place? Because obviously he was NWA in the 80s. He came yeah. to the WWF, you know, when Bishop was running it. But he never came into the WCW, like, in that run. And it wasn't until we saw him more. Like recently with Authors of Pain, where like Bischoff wasn't there, so I mean it it, it makes sense TV wise, but like at a con or a WrestleCade yeah. or a Starcade, like we're kind of like you always think you always have this assumption that everybody kind of meets up. Hey, what's up, guys? How are you? You know. Yeah. But even when we heard you know last time when Bischoff was like when we were asking about Honky Talk Man and Brutus Beefcake, he's like, yeah, I barely even talked to him. I just <laughs> you know looked at him from across the room. So it's kind of like it doesn't surprise me at the same time where you know that they never like passed, never crossed the Minnesota. Rest- Wrestling Legends Brunch they were never a part of. There is a special camaraderie there. Uh, I mean, well, as I was half-jokingly saying that, then it was like, you know, because they would have been there, and Hennings would have been there, and Brock would have been there, and shit. I'm like, wait, there's a lot of good Minnesota wrestlers. That would have been dope. Yeah. <laughs> Jesse been, well, was Ventura, he was governor there, was he from uh-huh. there? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Rick so he was from there. Oh, he was originally from there, yeah. I'd, I'd pay 200 to sit at that lunch. <laughs> yeah, right? That'd be, a fun, that'd be a fun brunch. At least. Well, uh, something that's maybe not so fun, guys, is taking a pile driver. All right, this is a pretty dangerous move, and it's something that came up this week on the show. I want to know from you guys who have been in the ring, what are your thoughts on the use of the pile driver back in the day? How safe was it? Is it? Can it be made safe? Should we be using it today? I mean... I would never take one. There are all different variations. I mean, you can say a Canadian Destroyer is a variation of a pile driver, yeah. and we see everyone doing uh-huh. that. But the the way of the the quote unquote dangerous one, where people have actually really broken their necks on TV, mm-hmm. is from like the sit down position. So there's the possibility of one false move. Their head is going to fall before the. The, the ass mm-hmm. and the legs. Yes. While the Kenny and the Destroyers and all those, a lot of those, the knees hit first. Mm-hmm. So, I don't think that move in that type of position could make a comeback in traditional TV. But again, you see variations where people kind of teasing it. Cesaro's finisher is starting like it, and then he just turns into a face buster. Right. Um, AJ Styles, obviously that's a very dangerous one, but technically, if done correctly, turns into a face buster. But a few years ago, CM Punk did it on Cena, and everyone freaked out. I remember Michael Cole, I, I swear to God, that was one of Michael Cole's best calls ever. Like, just that that whole match, I give Mike Crow all the props in the world. But, yeah, I, I was just going to say that. Like, so you did a pile driver. That's probably the only pile driver we've seen in, in the WWE, last, like, 20 years. Almost 20 years, years yeah. probably, yeah. Because Jerry Lawler used to do it all the time, but then he stopped. But Him he and, and Funk. Yeah. Well, I think we're at a point in wrestling where, like, this two-week period... Where we're talking a lot about pile drivers and we're talking a lot chair about unprotected, unprotected mm-hmm. chair shots to the head. Mm-hmm. I think we can, in wrestling, do 100% without unprotected chair shots to the head. I think a pile driver once, maybe twice a year per promotion, really gives it value. Mm-hmm. Also, I think the tombstone pile driver is a com- completely different kind of pile driver. Because you land on your knees. You, you land completely on your knees and then you drop the person lightly. But I think that one's pretty safe. But the pile driver is we all understood it as Andy Kaufman took it. But but depending on how the athlete that's selling the move, they could sell a pile driver just like how they sell a DDT. Mm-hmm. So so there's really no difference. It's just a matter of how they're being forced down. Because in that pile driver position, that individual taking the move 
has no control of how they're going to land. Mm. DDT, they can still kind of adjust itself, put the hand down, whatever it may be. Pile driver, you can't in that in that mm-hmm. setup. Also, in the few times a year we see a pile driver, it should all be sold like Rob Van Dam to Tommy Dreamer that one time. I'll send you. A, I'll send you the gift. I know what you're talking about, but <laughs> yeah, again, like there are certain out. there are certain individuals mm-hmm. that can do things like that, but a lot of them can't. True. Well, and and everybody's always interested in the wrestling action and what's going down, but there was some talk this week also about the difference in characters between WWE and WCW. Eric has admitted on the show that he was going for sometimes more of a character that would appeal to children or that he needed someone for video games. So we know the WCW characters were a little more illustrated. What were the other differences that you guys noticed watching this back between WCW characters and WWE I don't characters? think... Porn stars and pimps. <laughs> Okay, all right. See, that is a huge difference. I don't think it's so much the characters itself, and, and, and it's funny because he actually mentioned it in this specific episode of when Vince said on Beyond the Mad, we make movies. I always thought WCW make movies. Mm. WWF makes soap operas because the difference was soap operas never really end. They just keep going on and on. Movies end. They have a finale. Mm-hmm. So that's why I always thought the NWO storyline was kind of like weird because there was really no like long-term plan I always felt. I felt mm-hmm. like at some point it's going to end, and then what? That's exactly what happened. As opposed to WWF, it was all soap opera-based where it was more maybe character-based because when one thing ends, they already had, they already had other things kind of lining up. You know what I mean? I always compared it to uh, WCW is more like... Uh WCW is more like UCB in the improv world, whereas IO is more um, WWE, whereas it's character versus story. And WWE is always very much character based, and that's best if mm-hmm. the characters never. As an improviser, I understand what Steve's saying. Yeah, Sorry, but like, nobody else does. So right. let's talk about uh, well, a, a big character in Johnny B. Bad. Eric and Conrad almost sort of got into it about Johnny B. Bad, but then Conrad gave in pretty quick. Again, just probably, probably part, trying part to move of it for on. Who are, who are you guys? Whose team were you on in this one? I, I understand both arguments. Mm-hmm. Because. Eric saying no. This is a compl- it's a completely different guy. So, yeah, maybe some mannerisms. And Connor saying no, it's the same guy <laughs> because of the mannerisms. And yeah, there was there's no glitter. He didn't have the crazy robes, but mm-hmm. he still spun around a lot, ran, flew around, gave again the, the facials, the screaming. Mm-hmm. That was all the same as Johnny B. Bad. It was just. In dark leather tights to match Sable. I mean, if anything, I think when he when he came in, it was he was pretty much Johnny B. Bad, but because they didn't you, they didn't use the name, they called him Mark Marrow. Wild man. And it wasn't it wasn't until he got hurt as when he couldn't do those moves anymore, which is why he became marvelous and became more of a boxer. Yeah. Um, but either way, I mean, like I said, like like Christian said, I think they both had a lot of good points. Mm-hmm. I'm on Team Eric just to <laughs> just to move us along. I also, just, I, just so that everybody knows, we are always Team Eric. I also like moments like this where he mentions, "Yeah, I was right to let him go." In the sense that Vince McMahon thinks you can be a main event big deal star, you should go with Vince McMahon if that's how if that's if you think that and Vince McMahon thinks that. I don't think that. Like when he talked about Mark Merrill leaving WCW. I, I just thought how great it would be if there was a table for three with Vince and Paul and Eric. They can do it now. To launch their new careers at WWE. They can do it now. Can we please? Do we think Vince would do that ever? No, I don't no. think. I think ever? Shane might do Not it. Not even in that. Shane might make, do it. And that would still make sense, I yeah. guess, right? Shane would be, actually, do I it. think Shane would be a bit more candid. Do it with, like, Eric, Paul Hammond, and, like, Dixie Carter. Whew. No. Oh, okay, fine. Do it with Pritchard. 
Pritchard, I'm okay with Pritchard, that. Pritchard, Eric, and, and, and Paul. Dave Sapolsky would be, now that they're working with Evolve. Yeah. Yep. Oh, boy. All right. Fingers, <laughs> fingers crossed for that one. We will keep you posted if I see it on the WWE Network lineup, because I'm always checking. Uh, <laughs> but, but speaking of that, with the timing, I think we got to get someone on the line. Oh, oh, oh my gosh, you're right. <laughs> Why would I keep yapping my trap when we have the executive director of SmackDown Live waiting to chat with all of us and to answer your questions? So, guys, stay tuned. We will be back in just a few minutes with Eric Bischoff. Welcome back. Joining us now is the host of 83 Weeks and the inaugural executive director of WWE SmackDown Live, Eric Bischoff. <laughs> <laughs> I just I just picture you running running down the aisle to the ring. How you doing? I don't think there'll be much of that, but it's great to be here. I miss you guys. It feels like it's been a lifetime. It has. I hope you're feeling better. You know, I had a case of the flu that just really kicked my butt. I don't get sick often. In fact, it's been a long time, but that one got a hold of me. I was in a fetal position for about four or five days. And at a great time in your life when you're not busy at all. (laughs) Yeah, there wasn't anything going on. No pressure. Nothing to do. No no list of things to get done. Yeah, really great. Well, since we do know that you're a busy guy, you're getting gear into pack up over there. Uh, We'll get right to it tonight. We do want to talk about this episode of 83 Weeks covering Raw from July 6th. 6th, 1998. And I gotta tell you, Eric, what stood out most to me in this episode was that you did not hesitate to talk about Vince McMahon or uh, really give your honest opinions about WWE. How are you going to be able to continue doing that when it may require you to criticize your employer? Uh, Well, you know, I don't think that being honest is always necessarily a criticism. You know, I'm equally as critical of my own work in the past. You know, when you look back on something from, you know, 20 years ago, it's, you know, you look back at it and you break it down and you can be pretty honest about it. I don't really think I was critical. I, I just, you know, I was pointing out some of the obvious. And I, like I said, I do the same thing about my own work, you know, each and every week on 83 Weeks. Wow. God, you, you're a brave man, Eric. <laughs> so we were talking about a Raw from 1998, and we couldn't help but talking about wrestling in 98 to talk about Goldberg I think directly the question is was there ever an exit strategy to Bill Goldberg's streak that we knew when we started okay he's going to be undefeated he's going to be US champion he's going to be world champion was there a plan for well how does he lose who does he lose to or was it more fly by the seat of your pants good question honest answer it was fly by the seat of our pants we were booking on the fly with Bill from the get go you know nobody nobody expected, anticipated, had any kind of an instinct or an inkling that Bill would get over as quickly and as powerfully as he did. So, so when he did, we all just kind of went, okay, this is this is a great wave. Let's just ride it and see how far it goes. And it wasn't till you know, towards the end when we realized, all right, we've got nobody left for him to beat. At some point, you know, the, the streak and the phenomenon that, that was created by it had to come to an end. But there was no plan, to your point or your question. There was no real plan. We were literally taking it towards the last three or four months. We were taking it one show at a time. 
speaking of Bill Goldberg, uh, from the start, there were a lot of similarities or comparisons to Stone Cold Steve Austin. Were there ever any talks, preliminary talks, to maybe not having him wear the, the black tights or maybe even growing a beard or shaving the goatee? Any talks of maybe changing up his look you know, before settling on the Bill Goldberg look? No, as I said on the podcast, you know, Bill Goldberg showed up the first time I met him um, at a restaurant um, to talk about even, you know, the possibility of, of getting into the wrestling business. He looked exactly the way he looked. Now, he did not wear black boots and black tights to the restaurant. Uh, if only. But, but when he showed up, you know, in the power plant and when he came to the arena the very first time for a dark match, you know, that's what that was his character. That's who he was. Um, I don't think Bill, you know, was trying to be S- Steve Austin. I just think the, the similarities were kind of coincidental and natural. But again, to answer your question clearly, uh, no, after he showed up and he was wearing the black boots and the black tights and he obviously was bald and he obviously had a goatee, again, he looked that way the first day I met him long before he ever stepped foot in the power plant. Uh, but there was no consideration of uh, no consideration about changing that look because we felt, oh my gosh, people are going to criticize us for trying to copy Steve Austin. That conversation never took place. I honestly, I really enjoyed this week's episode because you know we don't get a lot of the talk as far as you and. In WWE, because at this time you were working in WCW, so you were praising some guys during the watch along, some some of the mid card superstars, um, in D'Lo Brown, The Godfather, and Val Venus. I'm wondering if you had the opportunity back in 1998 to snatch one of them and bring them to WCW. Which one of those three would you pick? You know, again, that's a very that's a hypothetical, and I just <laughs> yeah. kind of get I just don't like to play that game. Um, because at that time, we were so dense with great talent. There was just no need. There was no room. Mm-hmm. It was like, oh, my gosh, great. We're going to bring along another great piece of talent and try to have and, and have a hard time trying to find an appropriate place for them. Um, my, again, it was looking back, you know, 20 years after the fact. And, you know, D'Lo, who, you know, I'm friends with D'Lo. And, and I worked with D'Lo and TNA. But I really wasn't that familiar with his work during – this period of time in 98 I couldn't have picked him out of the lineup in 1998 but looking back now at his work you know like I said when he came through the curtain he just instantly wanted to just set him on fire you know uh, he, he had that much heat so it, it's it's easy to look back now and, and, and pick out some of that great talent but like I said during that period of time you know I wouldn't have been able to pick D'Lo out of a crowd well, uh, I think we are all kind of looking forward toward you and Bruce this week sort of ripping each other apart, maybe. People guess that's what would happen because he was covering an episode of Nitro. But the most critical thing that he said was that WCW wasn't interested in logic. Do you care to respond, Eric Bischoff? <laughs> well, that would be a very easy thing to respond to, you know, going back and looking at some of the material that I, you know, witnessed. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I think in both of our cases, uh, WWEs and WCWs, there were um, moments where logic was non-existent. <laughs> it's something we did. Um, you know, logic is a funny thing. You can you, you can apply it kind of uh, 
logic is in the eye of the beholder. You know, it depends on on how you want to look at a storyline or a character. Character, you know, could you? As much as I love the finish of the match in this particular episode, where Undertaker showed up, you know, dressed up as Kane and swerved everybody, and you know, got the win. Is that logical? You know, is there logic in that? No, it was entertaining as fuck, and it was really well done. <laughs> but is it logical? So, you know, like I said, logic is in the eye of the beholder, and, and you know, Bruce has his, his opinion and his perspective. I have mine. Um, speaking of logic, you spoke a lot in this episode about how you may, kept and maintained a TV audience in 1998. I was curious, what fundamentals do you know have stayed the same in 2019, and what do you know you can completely throw out the window? Yeah, that's a great question. You're kind of putting me on the spot. And the the honest answer is I've got a lot to learn between mm. now and the time I actually, you know, am, am fully integrated into the process. Because the audience has changed. You know, television has changed. You know, there's, there's so much has changed over the last five or seven years that I've got to catch it up to do. I'm not going to, you know, sugarcoat it. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to digging into, you know, analytics and research. And, you know, I watch the shows now. I, I'm paying very close attention to timing and pacing and, you know, length of segments and things like that. But, you know, and, until I really have a t- the time and the ability to immerse myself into a lot of the audience research, you know, as, as a viewer, I have an opinion. But as a producer, it's very hard to articulate one because I'm just not there yet. I mean, speaking of product, producing a show, uh, this you know July sixth, Raw was taped, Nitro was live as always. Is it always live? You know, or as always was live. Uh, was there any different kind of you know game plan creatively and you know producing wise going up against a Raw that you know it's going to be taped? You can kind of figure out what's going to be at the top of the hour. You know, things like that. Was there any different strategies in producing Nitro being up against a taped Raw? Not really. I mean, we, we were aware, you know, obviously we knew, you know, what was going to happen. And I think in a very general sense, we 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 wrote accordingly. Um, it was pretty easy to counter program your competition when you know exactly what they're going to be doing. And you can do something uh, live to, to kind of program that. So I'm not saying that we didn't uh, or we, we weren't paying attention to what they were doing because clearly we were. But the general approach to Nitro was pretty much the same every week. You know, I wanted story. I wanted surprise. I wanted action. You know, but mostly I wanted that feeling that anything could possibly happen. That was like the core emotional element that I tried to maintain on each and every episode. And it worked for us for so long, the very first episode. That's why I used Lex Luger the way that I did. Typically in 1995, if a guy like Lex Luger was coming over, what would your typical wrestling approach to that be? You'd promote it for two weeks, hoping that people would go, oh, wow, I can't wait to see that. Well, we went the opposite way. We kept it an absolute secret so that when it happened, it was like, holy crap, what was that? And we were looking for that holy crap, what was that kind of moment in each and every episode. Sometimes they were big. Sometimes they were small. Sometimes it was a combination of big and small. Um, sometimes we weren't able to achieve it. But the, the effort, the, the intent at least on each and every episode was to produce a show that was live where the viewer, once we went off the air, two things were going to happen. 
One is we left them with a cliffhanger as often as we could. And number two, I was hoping to get people to talk about the very next day at school or at work or wherever, because something happened that no one expected. You kind of touched on the fact as far as with Luger coming in, because the constant talk that we always talk about on 83 Weeks is, oh, you stole this guy from WWE. You stole that guy that you stole that girl. But doing the watch along, as you guys commented, there were a lot of former WCW people on this episode of Raw. Why do we never hear that talk going the other way? Uh, well, you tell me. You know, <laughs> you know, dirt sheets, probably. You know, that was the narrative back then. It was a narrative coming out of WWE at that time. You know, the only reason that, you know, WCW is competitive is because billionaire Ted's giving Eric a blank check. That wasn't true. The only reason they're competitive is they're stealing all of our talent. That wasn't true. Yeah, there was a lot of there was a lot of narrative that wasn't true. But once that narrative becomes embedded in the culture and embedded in the audience, particularly the, the really um, avid, I'm not going to call them hardcore, but the really avid, avid wrestling fan who's who was on chat rooms at the time or, you know, online or, or, or reading the dirt sheets, wherever they wherever the community existed. That was the narrative. And a lot of that narrative was coming out of WWE. I mean, go back and look at the billionaire Ted skits. You know, go back and look at the fact that, you know, Vince McMahon didn't want to acknowledge me. He wanted to frame the battle as between him and the billionaire Ted Turner. I guarantee I never had I probably had two conversations with Ted Turner about the direction of Nitro. One was when he told me to do it. And <laughs> subsequent, you know, to that it was, Hey kid, congratulations, you kicked their ass this week. <laughs> That was all the input that Ted had, but it was important, you know, at the time for WWE to be the underdog and to make it look like Big Bad Billionaire Ted was trying to, you know, destroy this family and the only reason their family business and the only reason that, you know, Nitro is even doing well at all is because they stole Hulk Hogan. I'm sorry, I didn't steal Hulk Hogan. He had left WWE. I didn't steal Randy Savage. He left and came to me. I didn't steal anybody. But that's the narrative that kind of embedded itself in the culture and in the audience and it's to this day still you know prevails i want to talk a little bit about jeff jarrett on this episode of the show you called your relationship with him strained and i'm just wondering if you're interested in repairing that relationship oh we did a long time ago no 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 at that time it was a strained relationship throughout the majority of our working relationship and when i say strained it wasn't like Difficult or or um, or challenging in any way. It's just we were never tight. You know, we just never clicked. And I mean, that happens. You know, you can walk into a room with people and you look over to your right and you find somebody and you just you have a natural chemistry and you look over to your left and there's somebody there that you just even though you try, it's just kind of a square peg in a round hole. Jeff Jarrett and I, for the longest period of time, were kind of the square peg in a round hole, but we. You know, in TNA, I think towards the end, especially, um, we started working more closely together, and, and you know, we're we're fine now. Well, that's good. Um, we spoke <laughs> a lot. <laughs> <fish. laughs> so great. That's not juicy at all. but super. <laughs> you guys want dirt? Everybody wants dirt. Everybody wants. Dirt. You spoke. You spoke a lot on this episode about the Mr. McMahon character on WWE television in '98. Vince McMahon made a very clear distinction between the character he played on television and the executive he was 
the next day and in the corporate world. Looking back, do you think that was a distinction you should have tried or wanted to do while in WCW? Um, I should have I should have done a better job of delineating between the on-camera character and the guy in the office. And it created a lot of confusion, you know, in Turner. And again, completely different environments, you know, WWE at the time, WCW at the time. So many of the so much of the WCW management above me you know, they didn't really watch the show. They they didn't really understand wrestling. They couldn't distinguish. They should, in my common sense, would tell you that the people you're watching are characters and they're not necessarily like that in real life. Um, you know, pick a character. Do you think Kane walked around, you know, in, in, in his private time dressed in, you know, the red outfit? You know, or, or you know, name any character. But the, the challenge for me is that you know, I was Eric Bischoff, the character, and I was Eric Bischoff, the president of the company. And I was a little aggressive and kind of a bit of a renegade within Turner Broadcasting. And I was a little aggressive and much more of a renegade <laughs> on TV. So the lines between what was real and what was not real um, were, were, were a little murky. You know, especially for people who didn't really understand wrestling, who didn't follow it, they would tune in and go, "Oh my God, that guy's actually running the company! Look at the way he's treating people." I tell, I've told the story before. I'll, I'll tell it very shortly, or I'll tell it very quickly. You know, the night that I fired Randy Anderson in front of his two kids mm -hmm. as a part of a storyline, I got called to Harvey Schiller's office the next day. Because public relations at Turner Broadcasting was just aghast at the fact that I actually fired an employee on TV, and all of the you know, many of the people in Randy Anderson's church were calling Turner Broadcasting <laughs> to complain about it, and th they thought it was real. So the the fact that we did such a great job of blurring the lines between reality and fiction, while on one hand it made for great television, on the other hand it made for bad internal relationships let's put it <laughs> just to kind of confirm what was said earlier on in the episode of, of 83 weeks so was it Hogan's idea to put the belt on Goldberg or was it something yeah. that you guys were already thinking of maybe before no no I mean I can't overemphasize um, I, the, the idea of, 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 uh, of Hogan losing to Goldberg particularly at that point was the farthest thing from my mind and, and literally, I was driving down the road. Uh, I was think I was on the 60 in Marina Del Rey, uh, over by the Ritz Carlton in Marina Del Rey. And I actually had to pull over on the side of the road to to have a conversation because I was in a rent a car. I was in a convertible. I was in town on business, and uh, I wanted to be able to hear clearly. And 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 Hulk called me and said, "I know what we need to do." That was all his idea. That had. Mm -hmm had not been previously discussed and it was not something I was pushing. I was I was shocked when he when he called me and laid it on me. Why? Why were you so surprised? Because it came from out of nowhere. Because you know, typically with Hulk, you know, when something that big was being contemplated, it would be discussed over a period of weeks or more. Mm -hmm. And this just came from right out of left field. Wow. I can just picture you sitting there on the mm -hmm. side of the road. <laughs> <laughs> Also, that, that's a good question of why, because I can see the dirt sheet writers taking that of like, oh, why that's so shocking? Because Hogan, the narrative they push is Hogan doesn't put anyone over. 
So it's good that we got the clarification of why that Hogan puts plenty of people over. Sorry. I'm trying to stay out of the sun. I'm not dodging the question. (laughs) (laughs) Well, obviously... Moving around, that's a great segue, because you're packing stuff up and moving. Yeah, we uh, see Lori in a big yeah. box there right in the background. I, I want to know, if, if if we were to walk by the, the Bischoff yard sale um, as you're getting ready to move, are we going to find any like interesting WCW memorabilia? What would be the most unique yeah. item that would be for sale that someone might be walking by to you know give you $3 for? You know, I don't have any memorabilia. I have one piece of memorabilia. I have the AWA, the, the blazer, the blue blazer with the AWA logo on it um, that I wore when I was doing uh, ESPN or AWA on ESPN. That's the only piece of memorabilia I have. I think I may have a sweatshirt or two, you know, from back in the day. But other than that, I don't, I don't keep stuff. <laughs> so how much for the jacket? <laughs> You know, I almost put it up. I was going to auction it off and donate some money to charity a while back. I asked Conrad about it. He said, no, nah, sit on that for a little while longer. And he's into collectibles mm-hmm. and things like that. So I'm, I'm taking his guidance. He's <laughs> holding on to it. Well, you know, we love this show and we love breaking it down with you every week. We would hate for it to go away. And I'm wondering, what makes you so sure that you are going to be able to continue on with 83 weeks? Um, because I've discussed it because it was a topic of conversation and everybody's cool with it. So um, it's not an issue. My issue is going to be timing. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, clearly, my life has changed dramatically. I'm not sure what it's going to be like once I get fully immersed into the process. I'm guessing it's going to be challenging, but I'll find a way. Wow. I love that. <laughs> He will find a way he to make will it work. Find a way to make so it we work. May, we may be doing this thing at four o'clock in the morning. Let's together. do it. Hey, that, that's Let's fine by it. us. Our, our engineers will love it. <laughs> <laughs> We're golden. Real quick, you talked you talked about the narrative that the WWF pushed or you know pushes as far as WCW. Do you view this new role as any kind of redemption? Like now, it's a time to really add on to my legacy of you know doing something great in the wrestling business. You know, I really don't. I mean, I I, I would understand or I do understand why people would think I feel that way but honestly I don't I mean here's how I look at it and I said this in a tweet you know, I've, I've laid pretty low on social media for since the announcement came out a couple weeks ago um, the one statement I did make is that I'm humbled I'm honored I'm grateful I'm overwhelmed I'm, you know, I certainly understand the magnitude and the scope of this opportunity. You know, Booker T said something the other day in social media that I read. And Book's a good friend of mine. But he said, you know, Eric Bischoff will never get another opportunity like this in his lifetime. Well, guess what? Neither will most people ever get an opportunity mm-hmm. like this in their lifetime. I agree with that statement. And I'm, I'm well aware of that. But I'm not looking at it as redemption or... I mean, I'm just looking at it at face value, what it is. This is an amazing opportunity to work with, you know, an amazing company with some great talent. You know, some of some of the talent I've worked with in the past, many of them I haven't and don't know. I've worked with a lot of the people in production when I was there as a talent previously. I've worked with some of the people in the office. I'm, I'm well aware of the quality of, and, and, and just the, the commitment and professionalism of the people in that company. They have a chance to be a part of it, especially at the level that I'm, I'm going to be working at. 
it is an amazing once in a lifetime opportunity. And I'm just looking at it like that. You know, what, what can I do to make this, what, what can I do to meet and exceed everybody's expectations? That's really the way I look at it. And I'm, I'm really not looking at it within the context of anything else that's ever happened before, if that makes sense. Hmm. Um, I mean, I'm just kind of curious. So once everything got finalized with the deal yeah, with the your sun, new role. The sun, the sun yeah, is really clear. going down here. I'm going to be... I'm going to be doing this show for my <laughs> That's right. You're coming to Connecticut soon. You won't have to worry about that much. I'm from Massachusetts. I know. Son. <laughs> Son, who needs it? Um, I am just, once everything got finalized with with your deal and you, you had your role official, besides obviously telling your family, who was the first person that you told? That's it. My family. <laughs> My family, you know, it's a, it's just another thing that's inherent in me about this industry is just don't talk. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm saying, Eric. That's what you're sitting down and doing every week. Doesn't that make you nervous? No, it makes no, me no, nervous no. for you. No, but but again, this was all you know. One of the first things we talked about was you know what are your existing commitments. And I talked about one or two things that, you know, I'm committed to no matter what um, contractually. And everybody acknowledged that that's cool. So I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. You know, I'm, I'm you know, look, you know, we, we did a raw watch along. I would like to think that in so doing, you know, more people probably tuned into that, you know, watch along on, on the WWE Network to, to follow along with us. So, You're already boosting ratings. <laughs> For them. Well, <laughs> at least attempting to, you know, I don't, I don't know if I am or not, but um, no, I, I learned a long time ago. It's it, there's no money in just talking for the sake of talking, you know, and leaking information or doing interviews. It's why I've stayed off of social media. You know, I love social media. I love reacting to fans. I love responding to people. And at some point, I'll, I'll jump back in it again once I kind of get my feet on the ground and get a lay of the land and kind of get a feel for protocol and what's cool. But right now, you know, I don't want to piss anybody off before I even leave. I <laughs> <laughs> haven't even packed my truck yet. I don't, want, I, I don't want to do or say the wrong thing. So I'm just kind of taking it easy. And unless there's money in it, there's no reason to talk about it. Well, it should be pretty simple for you. Next week, we're going back to WCW and covering the Great American Bash from 1999. Are you looking forward to that one? Yeah, actually, we've already done it, so I'm not going to tip <laughs> Oh, spoiler alert. <laughs> we had to get a little bit of a head in anticipation of my travel schedule, uh, but it was a fun show. It was actually one, I think, I always say this, you know, I get done with the show and I went in and told my wife, Lori, God, that show, that might have been the best one we've ever done. Wow. You know, I, I get excited about them, and in the moment, they feel like it was the best one we've ever done. But it, I don't know if it was or not, but it felt really, really good, and I enjoyed doing it. We can let you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, real quick, does so, that mean that you'll be at Extreme Rules on Sunday? Uh, no, I'll be driving on Sunday. Okay. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> it's going to take me five days. It's like 2,000 miles, and I, I've got a couple stops I want to make them along the way, so... Uh, no, I'll be, I'll probably be stuck on the Ohio Turnpike on Sunday if things go according to the schedule. Do you still have your pilot's license? Wouldn't it be easier to just fly everything? No, I, I don't. I haven't flown in a long time, but it's hard to pack 
a lot of stuff in the small plane. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we will let you get back to it. Thank you so much for, as always, being open and honest with us, Eric. And uh, we look forward to talking to you again next week. Take care and drive safe. All right. Thank you, Eric. Bye. Thank you, Eric. Thank you. Wow, he literally is packing up his truck and packing moving and to driving cross country. Wow, Connecticut. I thought that was Connecticut. just a rumor. Apparently, he really is going to be the executive director of SmackDown Live. Wow, <laughs> Wait, you heard it. You heard it here. You folks. mean the internet was right? You don't, you don't believe anything you hear. Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> that's we, not a dirt sheet debunk. Oh, people. Wow. That, that wasn't broken out, broken here first. <laughs> No, but you know, we do break a lot of news here, guys. We do. we do want to remind you to hit that subscribe button on the 83 Weeks channel. And you can also catch us on Apple Podcasts if you like to listen. And where would they reach out at to you personally if they wanted one of these Christian's Closet shirts? One of these Rosenberg? beautiful Christian's Closet t-shirts? Yes. Well, you can get this amongst other t-shirts at personalities.com slash Christian Rosenberg. And you can follow me on Twitter at Will Rosenberg, Instagram at Will Rosenberg. And you can check me out hosting the AfterBuzz TV Smackdown After Show. Uh, you can follow me at GHermoza, G-H-E-R-M-O-Z-A. Speaking of Extreme Rules, we will be covering Extreme Rules this Sunday night, 10 p.m. AfterBuzz TV. And I'm Steve Kaufman. You can find me on Twitter almost exclusively at Steve Kaufman. That is K-A-U-F-M-A-N-N. I'm involved in a couple YouTube pages. You guys can always hit me up at Christy Report. Send in those juicy questions for Eric using hashtag ask after eight. No, hashtag after uh, eight three week. weeks. And <laughs> if you're if you're a fan of all reality TV, check out 90 Day Fiance News Now, my new show on AfterBuzz TV. So thank you guys so much for tuning in, and we will see you next week for the Great American Bash 1999. Have a good one. Our founder, Kevin Undergaro, and me, Maria Menunos, would like to thank you for tuning in to AfterBuzz TV. Remember, we're not just the first, we're the biggest in the world, and we're the only destination for all your favorite TV shows. Whatever you crave, we've got it. So go to AfterBuzzTV.com and check out our lineup. Buzz you later. <laughs> the views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.